Chapter Eight of the Smoke Eaters by Harvey J. O'Higgins. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Question of Retirement. When the alarm of fire in Cook and Company's warehouse rang in the truck house at ten o'clock at night, Captain Meaghan and Battalion Chief Tig were closeted together in the captain's room. No, Tig had been repeating patiently, there ain't any knockin' in it. There ain't any politics in it. There ain't anything in it but just what I'm tellin' you. The chief says he wants young blood in the department. He's squeezed out all the old fellers out of the ranks, and now he's goin' higher up. If you won't get out without raisin' a kick, you'll have to stand examinin' by the medical board. And you know how that's worked. Why don't he retire Broderick? Meaghan asked plaintively. Tige did not answer. I'm sorry, he went on, I'm sorry, but it's likes not to be my call next. We're all of us gettin' stiff, I guess. They say you can't learn an old dog any new stunts. Captain Meaghan's anger had passed with his first indignant protests that he was being put out of the department for private or political reasons. He relapsed now into a silent apathy and resignation and he stood in the centre of his room to gaze at his swivel-chair and his desk of papers, the empty throne and office of his power, with a mute pathos of fixed eye and wrinkled forehead. Tige continued, "'We all got to come to it some time, and it ain't as bad as lots of jobs I know, where a man's chucked out on the streets without a cent. You'll have your half-pay to live easy on, anyways.' Captain Meaghan sat down by the window, as if his desk were already occupied by the right of his successor. "'Live!' he said. "'I know how I'm going to live. But what am I going to do? Where's my work?' "'Well, if I was you,' Tige said, "'I'd guess I'd worked long enough.' Meaghan did not reply. He sat forward to rest his forearms on his knees, and let his heavy hands hang down limp between them. Tige watched him in silence. There was nothing more that he could say, and yet he did not know how to get out of the room without saying something. He was looking wistfully at the door, when he was saved from an awkward exit by the jangling of the jigger with the first strokes of the alarm of fire, and he flung out of the room in a noisy haste that made an excuse of urgency out of an excess of bustle. Captain Meaghan rose like an automaton to the bell and reached down his cap from a hook in the corner. He put it on, and he seemed to grope and feel around the room with his eyes, in a bewildered and wandering gaze, as he did so. Then he turned to go out in a blind stumble, and he closed the door behind him, either absent-mindedly or in the way a woman will gently shut herself out of a room of happy memories when she leaves it to the past. The truck was waiting for him impatiently. He nodded to the driver, and swung himself up to his place on the turntable as the horses sprang forward obliquely from the poles, with straining haunches, and the great machine rolled out on noiseless axles. Lieutenant Gallagher was the only one who noticed that the captain put on his helmet wrong side before, and Gallagher noticed it because he had heard the rumour of changes in the battalion, and knew that Meaghan was in danger. The men on the sidestep were either sleepily putting on their coats while they clung to the ladders, or were borrowing and lending the chewing tobacco with which they were accustomed to fortify themselves against the thirst and excitement of a fire. 
There was some chaffing among those on the other side of the truck, and the lieutenant glared at them through the rungs of the ladders, understanding from the captain's manner that Tighe's interview had brought the old man his retirement. For Meaghan, instead of leaning out from the turntable to watch the street ahead and call unnecessary directions to the driver, was holding on with both hands, his face to the ladders, and swaying dizzily with the lurching of the truck. When they swung around a street corner into the black belch of steamers, Gallagher had to say, "'Here we are, sir,' before Meaghan raised his eyes. Even then he did not seem to waken. He did not get down until the truck had stopped, and he stood in the gutter, fumbling with his helmet, as if he noticed for the first time that it sat uneasily awry on his head, until Gallagher, having righted it for him, said, "'Chief's over there, sir,' and pointed out the boss where he stood beside his carriage. Meaghan shambled across the street to report the arrival of his company, with a dispirited, "'Number Zero, Chief.' The head of the department, without turning to him, replied impatiently, "'Get in, then! Get in! They don't seem to be able to find the cursed fire!' Meaghan looked up dully at the five-storied warehouse that showed a dark bulk of brick in the feeble light of the street lamps. He saw smoke leaking out around the iron shutters of the second and third stories, as if from the joints of a dampered box-stove. He saw firemen on the ladder-tops, working to force an entrance through these shutters with crowbars and jimmies. A second-story window had been opened, and a flaccid hose hung down empty from it to show that the blaze had not been found, and two engine crews, having coupled butts to hydrants and stretched their lines of hose, were waiting like soldiers in a night attack for the order to advance. For one blank moment Meaghan stood at gaze. Then he pushed back his helmet from his forehead. His face set in a thoughtful scowl. He spat at his feet. He looked up again, frowning. And, suddenly, he pulled down the peak of his helmet to his eyes, with the manner of a mind resolved, and bounded forward in a run across the paving stones to his command. "'Ground floor!' he shouted. "'Break in the doors!' Three of the company leaped at the truck and dragged out the battering-ram a knobbed bar of iron, fitted with handles for two men. "'That's no good!' he bawled angrily at them. "'Get your twenty-footer!' Six of them dragged down the heavy ladder, caught it at both ends and the middle, and ran at full tilt with it against the warehouse doors. "'Hit on the lock!' he yelled. Lieutenant Gallagher suggested, mildly, "'Smoke's all up above, sir.' Meaghan brushed him aside as the impact of the half-dozen men, behind the steel-shod weight of wood, struck the doors a blow that burst them open with a crash of splintered planking, and the sharp report of snapped metal. "'Get in now!' Meaghan cried. "'Get in! Never mind your lights! You can't open your eyes in there! Get your axes!' Gallagher dropped his lantern and ran to them. Smoke had begun to thicken in the doorway. They stopped to drag out their ladder. "'Oh, hell!' Meaghan yelled. "'Get in, will ya? Find the fire! Find the fire!' Three of them, armed from the truck, disappeared after Gallagher into the smoke. Meaghan sent three others to support them, and hurried out into the road to see the front of the building. And now, as he looked up from the smoke of the doorway to the smoke of the windows, and down again, 
he jerked his head backward and forward abruptly and spasmodically with an old man's exaggerated alertness in the set of his chin he ran back to the door try the elevator shaft he shouted in the cry that replied to him sounded from above him as if the men were groping their way up the stairs and this was not what he had intended that they should do he rushed out into the street to look up again at the smoke in the windows he found it thinned and lessened and with an oath of exasperation he charged back into the doorway and shouted come down here and feel the floors feel the floors he got no answer he waved to the rest of the company to follow him and plunged headlong into the choking heat and darkness when the old fireman's sixth sense warned him of obstacles in his path he dropped on hands and knees to scuttle forward on flat palms over the smooth hard wood he stopped in a moment to take off his helmet and lay his cheek to the planks he scrambled on again knocking against a packing case that scraped his bare temple with its tin straps when he stopped a second time he put his ear to the floor then he jumped to his feet ran forward blindly struck against a tin-sheathed door that was loosely hung and fell panting at the crack beneath it he could hear unmistakably the quiet grumble of stifled flames and the flooring was hot under his hands with that he turned on all fours followed his path back with an unerring sense of direction shouldered into the packing-case picked up his helmet rose to his feet and ran for the doorway shouting to the men who were groping around him in the darkness two of gallagher's squad were coughing and gasping in the street report number zero finds fire in the basement he cried in a heart-lifting exultation coming up the elevator shaft smash in those deadlights get your cellar pipe one of the men darted out into the confusion of the street to find the chief before the other could reach the truck meaghan had picked out the steel maul and was attacking the deadlights with it and swung with the stiff short blows of strong shoulders he drove it through thick glass and cracking cast iron with the accuracy of a stone-breaker his men joined them with their axes and while they were still working there gallagher came out choking and coughing from the stairs he saw Meaghan working with the maul like a common truckman, and he did not understand the sight. He went over to him. The captain tossed him the heavy hammer, ordered him to take the men into the cellar, and hurried back to the truck for an axe. He was met by an engine company dragging a line of hose. "'Come on here,' he greeted them. "'Fire's in the back,' and led them into the ground floor on the double. Gallagher looked up at him as he passed and remained staring after him when he was lost in the smoke he knew it was meaghan's place to remain with his own company he supposed from what he could guess of the condition of the captain's mind that the old man stung with the thought of his retirement would commit some folly that would endanger his life he turned to one of the crew look after this he said and shutting his teeth with a snap on the stifle that puffed into his face he began to track up the line of hose which Meaghan had let in. He found the air at once almost unbreathable, the heat unendurable. But he made better progress on the sure trail than the men who had preceded him, and he quickly overtook the foreman of the engine company, who, with his two pipemen, was following on hands and knees after Meaghan, whom they had lost. Gallagher heard the captain's call ahead of them, 
and he groped forward in the direction of the voice to find Megan snaking in through the smoke, dragging his axe as if he were crawling in a burrow. Gallagher threw himself beside him. "'Start your water,' Megan ordered. "'We can't make that door. She's loose, anyway. The stream'll bring her down.' "'It's me, Gallagher,' the lieutenant stammered. "'What? What's the matter?' Megan asked thickly. "'What do you want, eh?' Gallagher began. "'I thought you'd—I thought—' thought—' It was impossible to confess what he had thought. "'Someone wants me?' Megan asked. He got no answer. "'Who wants me?' Gallagher did not answer. He had, in fact, taken advantage of the darkness to retreat from his mistake. "'He's over to the right there,' he said hurriedly to the pipemen as he passed and he came out on the street, red and flustered, with the consciousness of having made an indiscreet fool of himself. He was standing over the men at their work of lowering a ladder into the basement, when the captain came unexpectedly out to him. "'What?' he said, looking around him for a superior officer. "'Who wants me?' Gallagher struggled with a clumsy lie, in an abashed silence. Megan glared at him. "'Who wanted me?' he demanded. The lieutenant did not answer. He looked up with a piteously appealing eye. The truth dawned on the captain. "'What the blank?' he choked. "'What do you blank? What the devil?' Gallagher eased his helmet. "'Well,' he tried to explain, "'I was afraid you'd—' "'Afraid I'd what?' Megan bellowed at him. "'Ain't I old enough to take care of my—' The words stopped him. "'Well, by God!' he swore. "'That's it, is it? You got the chief's bat, have you?' He shook his fist in the lieutenant's eyes. "'When I want a nurse, I'll tell you, blank, blank you. You cubs, you'd have been hunting for this blaze yet if it hadn't been for me.' A muffled cry of, "'Start your water!' sounded from within. The fireman on the threshold took up the cry and sent it bounding from man to man, like a tossed ball, over the tumult of the street, into the echoing gorge of high buildings at the corner. Megan took off his helmet and threw it in Gallagher's face. "'Blast your eyes!' he cried. "'Why can't you mind your own business? You think you know it all, don't you? If I didn't know no more'n you about a fire!' The hose at their feet writhed, swelled, and stiffened to the size of a gigantic serpent. "'You obey orders, see?' Megan cried. "'I'm captain of this company yet a while.' And with a last furious oath he turned and darted back into the doorway. Gallagher put a hand across his bruised mouth. "'Darn his old hide,' he said. "'I'll show him I've got as much right in there as him.' and kicking aside the captain's helmet, he followed doggedly in. When Captain Meaghan reached the nozzle again, he found the pipemen lying drenched with the water that beat back on them from the near wall in a refreshingly cool spray. He shouted to them to turn the stream to the left, where he knew the door to be. They could not hear him. He crawled over one of them to push the nozzle aside, and the man promptly gave place to him. He lay down beside the pipe and directed it blindly, and in a moment the powerful stream struck the tin sheathing with a roaring weight that burst the door from its hinges into a hissing fire. 
The heat leaped out on them before a live puff of flame, and Captain Meaghan felt the man beside him kick and struggle with the pain and stingings of scorched hands and cracking lips. Then the nozzle tried to lash free of his grip. The remaining pipe-man climbed over his legs, and he was left alone. He rolled over on the hose to pin it down, rested the nozzle on his arm, and hid his face beside it, where he could get the little air that was freed from the stream. His anger against Gallagher and the chief set his jaws in a determination to beat back the fire, even though he was helpless before them. And that truly Irish resolution held them until the first torture of the heat had slowly passed and left him numb and drowsy in that effect of physical ease which precedes death by fire as it precedes death by freezing. He was roused by the touch of a hand on his boot-heel. It closed tightly around his instep and tugged at his leg, and he kicked out impatiently to show that he was in no need of help. A man crawled up over him and loosened his hands from the nozzle, which immediately wriggled free of him and began to thresh about on the floor. He protested angrily, trying to catch the hose again. A pair of strong hands closed under his chest, turned him, lifted him, and threw him suddenly over a broad shoulder. He fought with the smooth tarpaulin of a turn-out coat until his knees were pinned together in the crook of an arm, and his rescuer, straightening his back to the load, rose swaying and began to run through the smoke toward the doorway. Slung head down, and choked with the rush of blood to his throat, Meaghan caught speechlessly at the man's legs in a vain attempt to trip him. He might as well have tried to hold back a runaway horse by leaning down out of the saddle to catch its hoofs. The fireman went ahead with him unheedingly. The crew of an engine company, hurrying into the fire, bumped against them. He got a breath of cooler air, and he beat on the rubber coat in an inarticulate fury. Then, as he was borne out of the doorway, he caught a glimpse of the street, turned topsy-turvy, and the fear of making his situation still more laughable before his command held him ragingly still and silent. His rescuer bent forward to heave him upright on his feet, and stood back from him warily. And he saw that it was Gallagher. If he had had an axe in his hand, he would have killed the lieutenant on the spot. Having no weapon, he leaped at him, without a word, not striking him, but clutching for his throat, in the primitive instinct of the savage to use his fingers as claws. Gallagher wrapped him in a tender embrace, threw him carefully on the flagstones, and sat on his chest. He raved and fought in a panting struggle to wriggle himself free, growling like an animal, his face blackened with smoke and fire, his eyes red-rimmed like the haws of a mastiff, his teeth gleaming through a singed moustache. Someone said over Gallagher's shoulder, what's wrong here? The lieutenant forced down a straining arm and answered, through his teeth, Man gone fire-crazy. You're a liar! Megan yelled. You're a liar! You're a lie! Gallagher shifted his weight to the captain's diaphragm, and he ended in a grunting groan. The voice above them said, Get off him! And Gallagher looked up to recognize the chief. He rose with a stubborn reluctance. Meaghan sprang unsteadily to his feet. He was weak almost to the point of tears. "'He's been chasing me round all night,' 
he said, haulin' me out of everywhere I got and— You've been trying to get yourself burned alive, Gallagher cut in, and when I carried him out of a blazing fire, he tried to throttle me. Look at him! He pointed to the blackened face of his captain. Ain't I able to take care of myself? Meaghan cried. No, you ain't, Gallagher said. You've been running wild around here all night. You're not right. You know you're not. What's wrong about him? The chief interposed. I don't know, Gallagher said sulkily. There ain't anything wrong about me, Meaghan complained. I wanted to take a whirl out of the fire, seeing it was going to be my last. And I did, too, he boasted. I found it, and I'd have held it in the shaft there, if that blank blank hadn't yanked me out. The chief stroked his moustache. What do you say it's your last for? Meaghan frowned at him. Tig said you said. The chief shook his head slowly. I told Tig that either Broderick or you ought to give place to a younger man. Meaghan looked down at his rubber boots. I don't want to squeeze out Broderick either. If I got to go, I'll go. The chief stood aside for the entrance of another engine company. Well, he ruled, you can do as you like about it. Broderick fell off a ladder over there and broke his hip. He's out anyway. You can go too if you want to. Nobody's going to prevent you, but nobody's going to force you either. He followed into the burning building after the pipemen. Meaghan looked up at Gallagher. Gallagher looked away. He saw the captain's much-abused helmet lying on the curb and went to pick it up. Meaghan took it from him and clapped it on his head. It's lucky I didn't have anything to hit you with, he growled. Yes, sir, Meaghan answered meekly. Meaghan glared at him. Well, what in blank did you do it for? I thought there was something wrong with you, Gallagher apologized. I didn't want you to get, to get hurt. The captain snorted his contempt. Who told you to think? You obey orders. That's your business. Gallagher raised a humble eye to him. Yes, sir, he said. Meaghan scowled and swallowed. Gallagher waited in a pose of humility that it would have been inhuman to abuse. Where's the boys? the captain demanded. In the cellar, Gallagher replied. Well, he said, with heavy sarcasm, don't you think it's about time you yanked them out? And when the lieutenant was descending the ladder, Meaghan looked up at the smoking windows and down on the crown of Gallagher's helmet with his old mouth twisted in what seemed to be the grim suppression of a smile. Look here, Gallagher, he said that night. Broderick's out of business. There'll be an examination for promotion among you boys, and I know you'll pass that all right. Well, I'm going to report you for having saved my life, see? He blinked away a smile for having carried me away from a burnin' elevator shaft at your own risk. Gallagher rubbed his nose and smiled nervously. I loaded up one of them newspaper touts that way. My own report to headquarters ought to cinch it for you, eh? He laughed at Gallagher's expression. Eh? He chuckled. Eh? Gallagher enjoyed the joke, but shook his head over it. The chief's on, sir, isn't he? You leave the chief to me. Meaghan said, I'll fix that. Here, have a cigar. Gallagher took it and sat down. 
He fastened his eyes on it. He turned it over. He reddened. He said thickly, "'Much obliged, Captain. I—I'll be sorry to leave number zero. Meaghan jabbed his cigar into his mouth and hastened to busy himself striking a light. When he was behind a cloud of smoke, he coughed and said, "'That's all right, Gallagher. That's all right.' It was as near as either of them ever came to achieving pathos. End of chapter 8